Yes, yes. Good morning. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We're compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship. Being a community that serves the greater community. Amen? Amen. I am your pastor, Scott Berglund. Uh, would you like to meet the real Scott Berglund? Some of some of you are like, wait, what is? What do you mean? Anybody meet the real Scott Berglund yet today? A couple, a couple, ladies and gentlemen, my dad. We we have the same name, so he likes to introduce himself as the real Scott Berglund, um, which I'm going to start doing to him when I'm up around his friends. So, not the real. I'm the new and improved, right? So, there you go for fun. For fun. Uh, we, we get along well enough that we can tease each other, right? right? Uh, hey, uh, as for uh, serving the greater community, want to uh, tell you about Thursday night was awesome. We had over 50 people here at our first uh, registration meeting for the Mexico trip. We passed out the Ten Commandments of Mexico. Uh, so if you don't know what those are, there's copies up here. Whether you're going or not, you can just come get a copy or whatever. Uh, but very excited about our trip this summer, and we're going to be working on two homes and a school down there, and uh, it, it'll be a kick. And so please be praying about that. Uh, only 15 signups so far because that was the first night that registration forms came out. So uh, there were a couple more signups this morning. What I'm saying is there's still time for you. If you, if you want to go and you're interested, we'd love to have you, and uh, there is that. Uh, also wanted to mention, a couple of you asked about membership covenants, and we have printed uh, some more and new ones, and they're in the back uh, along the counter, so you can take a look at those if you're interested in membership. Um, other than that, our students right now are off in uh, Santa Cruz Mountains, Mount Hermon Conference Grounds, doing their winter retreat, junior high and high school, almost 50 of them, uh, f- a little more than 50 if you count the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, which we're we're counting so that we get above fifty and Brent has to shave, uh, so we're we're enjoying that, right? Nick, you're okay with that? Okay, good. Um, so continue to pray for them. They come back tomorrow, so they're getting uh, some teaching from Darren Hill, guest speaker, and then our very own Bryce Turner, which is kind of nice to be able to say our own Bryce Turner, uh, is down there helping lead worship with the youth worship team. Yeah, so it's not Bryce leading, it's actually the students leading, and he's helping out. But a great investment for us as a church to invest in next generation. Uh, so be praying for them and their, their spiritual time and their connection and engagement with God. Uh, and then hopefully they'll come home uh, a little bounce in their step, a little, a little closer to the Lord and, and excited uh, tomorrow. So uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, Mondays, uh, we're a few weeks into the women's new study, 7 o'clock Monday nights out in the clubhouse. It's called Resolve, and you need not have been at the first few in order to come. You can come at any point and jump right in. Uh, they're following a book study and video series. Uh, Heidi thinks it's awesome, which we trust her um, because of her taste in food and ability to prepare it. Uh, right? Little, pro- little props for you. And free, free child care on Monday nights for you ladies that are interested in that. Uh, and then this Tuesday, uh, we have 
our uh, monthly prayer gathering after band practice at 8 p.m., third Tuesday of each month. This Tuesday is the third Tuesday. So uh, if you're interested in that, uh, then then we would love to have you there and be prayed for or pray for others uh, or hopefully both. Uh, so that's this Tuesday, 8 o'clock. And then Wednesday morning is our, our ongoing men's study, 6 a.m. would love for you guys to jump in on that. And that, again, is another study where you can you can join and add at any time and uh and we would love to have you for that uh we're going to get started here this morning we need not dismiss the youth because they're all the retreat uh, but we do have ushers coming down the aisles with bibles and outlines and pens if you need those they also have prayer request cards so you could fill out something that we can pray for and then drop it in the offering plate at the end today uh and our staff and our prayer team and our Tuesday night gathering uh, can pray for you. Uh, so get their attention to get those. Uh, we've been our series, the uh, Matthew, book of Matthew. We're in chapter five. We started the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes because they are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. A couple weeks ago, we did the first six, three a week. And t- today we are going to do the last three of the Beatitudes, and then we're going to get into a couple of analogies and commentary where Jesus start to explain why the Beatitudes. Why did he teach on these nine things? Uh, What's the point? And what are the themes? uh, What's the progression? And there's a couple of uh, those things that we're going to see this morning. I think they're tremendous, and they're fun, and they have great things to say about us. So we're going to jump into that in just a moment. Uh, But before we do, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the opportunity we have to come to worship, to sing, and be reminded that we are no longer slaves to sin, that we are children of yours. I thank you, Lord, that we get more than just your son on the cross, We received him in human form, walking amongst us, teaching. And then, Lord, you had people write that down that we might get instruction today. So we pray for that, Lord. Give us instruction. Teach us. Mold us. uh, Draw us to what you've called us, designed us, uh, created us to be. And I pray that we would go out of here uh, with a better understanding, more prepared uh, to be yours. And so, Father, bless this time in honor of your son, Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, we start getting uh, beatitude number 6. And uh, he's kind of been talking about, uh, here's some ways that you can be blessed. And then he's talked about a couple behaviors that you do in order to receive those blessings. Uh, And then he tells us what the blessing is. And what I want us to see this morning is there's a progression where it starts out saying you're going to inherit the kingdom. Uh, And then it starts explaining it. You know, if you mourn, you'll be comforted. Uh, If you're meek, you're going to get this. If you're pure in heart, you're going to see God. That was number six. Uh, We're going to see number seven and following. I think I messed that up a little bit earlier. Uh, We're going to see number seven, number eight, and number nine. Number six was you're going to see God if you're pure in heart. Well, boy, that seems more exciting than just being comforted uh, or receiving mercy. Uh, Wow, 
Is it getting better? And we're going to see that it actually is because I think we get our best promise. We've got our best blessing uh, in these last three. And so I think uh, Jesus is crescendoing in what he's committing to us. So uh, let's look at it. Uh, jumping in, uh, blessing number seven, verse nine, Matthew chapter five. Here we go. Blessed are the peacemakers because they do not exist. Oh, wait, I think I misread that. Uh, where are the peacemakers? They're right here, in theory. But boy, when we get outside the doors, when we get out into the week, when we get out into community, to culture, when we get online, when we watch the new peacemakers are impossible to find. In fact, we celebrate those who initiate conflict and then prevail. We love competition. We love winning. We keep score. There's all that kind of stuff. Uh, you think there's, there's a, a vacuum of peacemakers out there? We love to fight. Uh, we love to persecute. Uh, we love to instigate. Uh, here's how I know. I like to do all of those things. I enjoy it. Uh, and yet, although it's a, a first inclination, although it's a default for me, uh, is it healthy? Say no. Okay, good. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily right, but it comes out of my selfish nature. And Jesus is teaching in all of these uh, that we're trying to fight some of our natural tendencies, our nature, and get to what's right which many times those are different. Uh, and then he's, he's almost implying, how about you train yourself so your first intention, your first natural response is what's right. That's called learned behavior. He says, learn it. He says, one of the things I want you to see, number seven, is the value of peace. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Is that um, a description? You know, for those that we find who are peacemakers, uh, they will be blessed. Is, is that a description that he's giving? Or, I would argue, is it a prescription, a command, an imperative? Yeah, blessed will be the peacemakers, but what I'm really saying is be a peacemaker. Which one of the two do you think it is? The second one, isn't it? Isn't he commanding us to be peacemakers? In fact, look at the word, peacemakers. If you split it in half and kind of tried to describe it, what's being said in the phrase peacemaker? Okay, first service really struggle. I know it's a little confusing. We've gone above kindergarten level. It's the interactive portion of the morning. We've got peace and we've got makers. We don't say peace and makers. We would say we're supposed to... Make peace. Oh my goodness, you're intrinsically better than first service I mean first and foremost you know to come at 11 rather than 9 right this, 9's practice this is the real deal right isn't it uh, make peace that's how we get the clearest implication that it's an imperative that it's a command make peace uh, in fact back in the 60's and 70's they, they almost had it right they said make love not war, right? 
I think that's close, but Jesus is saying, hey, look, we need, to, we need to bring peace. When you create conflict, what do you do to the other person? You degrade them, you put them at odds, you make them fearful, you frustrate them. You get some kind of emotion in them. Uh, One of the most important things that you do with someone when you instigate with them is what do you do to them concerning you? How do they feel and think about you? Angry? Let's just say not good. You try to make peace with somebody. They're coming at you or they're frustrated or they're struggling or they're hurting or they're creating a fight with someone else and you come in and you try to make peace. How do they feel and think about you now? A little better? They might have some questions. They might be trying to figure out are you on their side or not? But they might engage you. They might trust you. They may cooperate with you. They might explain to you. They might give you a chance for you to explain to them what part of their plan is irrational. Right? But you've be- become maybe a team. There's an opportunity. There's a chance. Jesus says, let's, let's look at that. Because when you, when you get confrontational, you create an enemy, you create opposition. When you become a peacemaker... You're trying to envelop more t- people onto your team or you're trying to join their team. Now people have happy endorphins going through their system about you. Let's see what we can do with that, he says. Because the blessing of the peacemakers is they shall be called what? Sons of God. Sons of God. What just happened to all the ladies? What just happened to you? Nothing. Nothing. They used male gender to denote both sides, right? In the Bible, it's just common. So uh, it's not really about gender. What really just happened there to the men and the women? What just happened? If you're a peacemaker and he says, make peace, it's a command. You will be in the, you just became family. You know, before it was, I was going to inherit the earth with, I'm not really sure what that means. Or the meek. Right? If they do that, that's what they're going to get. Uh, those who mourn shall be comforted. Those who sow mercy will receive mercy. You know, those are good things. But you know, get to uh, promise number six, and it's you shall see God. I think that's way better than the first five. I can survive without mercy once in a while. I can be comforted in other ways or later or not be comforted at all. But you tell me I got a shot at seeing God. Wow. What's better than seeing God? Right there. Being in his family. Why? Because when you're in family, sometimes they fly down to come and hang out with you. You see him more than once. It's kind of funny. He, he flew down to come to our uh, potential second round NCS soccer game for the playoffs that we didn't qualify for. <laughs> we lost on Wednesday, so we didn't make it to yesterday's game. He came anyways. Why? family right dad's the quick easy but see family right so you know what we did we went and watched the game anyways even though we weren't playing in it it was some kind of therapy for me i think but i'm not sure i'm still working through i need to talk to a couple counselors about that probably uh 
But what does it mean to be in a family? Do you, do you know how hard, no matter how hard you try to get out of your family, it's impossible. They don't even have to come looking for you or track you down or know where you live. Why? Because you, once, once you are somebody's son, ideally, that can never change, right? And this is, of course, God, this is silly. What's God just said about you? You can never lose your name, right? We like to say, once a burglar, always a little shaky, right? No, no, that's not how it Once a burglar, always a burglar, right? No, what do you say in your family? Something like that, I hope. Value a family. It says, this might be one of the bigger ones, peacemaking. Why? It gets you in the family. Now, is he commanding you to be in the family? I mean, if he's commanding you to peace making isn't he commanding you to be in the family that's kind of cool not just asking telling you you have to i like that there's some things i need not a choice uh, right coke and pepsi i need to be able to choose right vanilla chocolate i need to choose being in god's family i should not have a choice on that and i think no one should have a choice on that but i'm very opinionated so bear with me uh number 10 blessing number eight Blessed are those who are persecuted. What? Do you remember how this started? Blessed are those who mourn. Two weeks ago we talked about how the disconnect in that doesn't make sense to us as humans. And yet, uh, was God surprised by mourning? Is God surprised by persecution? Is God surprised by sin? Is God ever surprised? Never. So is there a disconnect between persecution and blessing? In our minds, by our experience, absolutely. And his mind says, oh no, these go together. Our job is not to fight against it. Our job is to understand it. He says, you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. So that you are doing the things that are right rather than wrong, good rather than bad, as determined by God. If somebody persecutes you for that, well done. You ever done something right for somebody and you come out of it just beaming, hopping, happy? They're, they're doing better and you, uh, you feel great. Endorphins going through your body and the whole thing. Uh, why, why does that happen? Why, why does your body respond to that? Why do you feel so good? Because you're smack dab in the middle of God's created intention for you to be a blessing. For the right reasons. It says, when you get persecuted for that, enjoy it. Uh, because when you're persecuted for that, why are they, why do they persecute you? If you're doing what's right, shouldn't they be rejoicing? Shouldn't be they be uh, putting hands on the rope and pulling along with you? Shouldn't they be helping, showing up, or bringing pizza, or whatever? Shouldn't they be supporting you? And yet, Many times they don't. Why? People persecute because they have different interests. And when you do what's right and it's in conflict with what they want or with what they need, they are in conflict. You know, we talked about this last week when right and wrong are in conflict with want and need. 
That's where we get in trouble. Well, guess what, folks? It happens to more than just you. It happens to other people. And when what they want or think they need comes in conflict with what's right and wrong and how you're pursuing it, now you're going to get persecuted. Now, is that because of you? Because you did something wrong? There's something wrong with you? No, who has the problem? They do. So you are not being persecuted for your own sake. You're being persecuted for their sake. And actually, this passage implies that you are being persecuted for righteousness's sake. Uh, So get out your outline. We're going to have a little fun here. Uh, Look at the front. Newly designed. Week three. Very fun. Uh, thanks to uh, Reedon, Lori Reedon, for designing everything. Uh, flip it over on the back. We got Matthew chapter five, nine through sixteen, and what's the title? For whose sake? Why be blessed? Why be persecuted? Why go through all these things? Why get a payoff? For whose sake are we doing these things? Yeah, sometimes it's for rights' sake, righteousness' sake. Sometimes it's for their sake. If they're the ones in conflict because they are persecuting you, it's not for your sake why you do these things. Uh, So it's a great question for us this morning. For whose sake are we doing these things? Jesus is implying uh, for righteousness. Uh, But let's keep moving because I think we're going to get more enlightened on that. Uh, Last blessing, number nine, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and what? persecute you now we've heard it twice you're going to hear it three times they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil evil against you and what's the next word have you ever have you ever thought that when you're persecuted they're wrong how fun is that we got a verse now when you get persecuted what if the default is they are probably wrong? And, and why are they persecuting? On my account, Jesus speaking. For whose sake are we persecuted? For whose sake do we be a blessing? For whose sake do we attempt these attitudes? Jesus. And oddly enough, we get to say in church... For Christ's sake. Which most of the time is said outside of here as a negative. But you know it might be one of the most biblical things ever. Next time somebody says hey for Christ's sake to you. You know what you say? Absolutely. I hope so. Or you're right. That will really mess with them. If you tell somebody they're right. They feel really good. For a second, but then they said it because they were angry, and now they don't know what to do, and now you got their attention. You might have like tripped the little cycle that they're in. You might have stalled the cycle that they're spinning in for a second and get their attention. Uh, we do these things for Christ's sake. I love what one of the New Testament verses says: "For the love of Christ is why we do things." That's wonderful. Uh, It says here, rejoice and be glad. Verse 12, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they, what? They persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
There's several implications there. Uh, it says before you. It's happened before. Persecution has happened before. You realize that, that persecution is the topic of the eighth and ninth Beatitudes? He mentions it twice. Why? Because apparently we have trouble dealing with it. But he says, you know, uh, this should not be a surprise to you. This happens all the time. In fact, it's happened many times before you. You're not special. Kind of interesting. If we're not special and it's about them, we really have to start rethinking what is going on during persecution or during opportunities where we can be a blessing because there's a bigger picture going on. Uh, He does a comparison here too. By the way, this is kind of hard for me. Jesus compares us with the prophets. I, I thought he loved everyone equally and we're all equal in value. And we're all liked, and we're all blessed, and we're all his creation. And yet he implies uh, here, I think, that in a comparison between us and the prophets, someone's better. Who's better? (laughs) Bryce wants to say, me, it's got to be me, I want to be better. Isn't he implying the prophets are better? You know, even the prophets, why would he say even? Even the prophets were persecuted before you. Why would he make that comparison and imply that they did something right? If not for us to take the command and follow in their footsteps. Did the prophets stand up for what was righteous? Absolutely. Were they persecuted? Most of them to death, literally. And that they stood up and they said what was right. Uh, Wow. Good thing we're not prophets, amen? Amen. Wait a minute, time out. Maybe we are prophets. What if you were a prophet? You know, prophets were, um, are not known for telling the future as we think of today. Prophets have become these entities that we say, oh, they tell the future, they foretell. Well, you know, nobody ever knew that when they spoke. They would only find out generations later when something happened. They say, wait, didn't Isaiah say that? Nobody knew during Isaiah's time that he was a prophet. They just thought he was a loudmouth in terms of how we define prophet. But back in those days, they absolutely called him a prophet because their definition of prophet was someone who told God's truth, who explained what was right. Amen? They were the phone call from God. Hey, I need your attention. Here's what's really going on. Folks, do you know God's truth? Good majority of it. Do you know what's right versus what's wrong as defined by him? A good majority of it. Could you be his spokesperson? Absolutely. Welcome to prophethood. You're prophets. Now, you won't know the future. Well, actually, you might know a little bit about the future. The future's gonna be good or bad. Oh, you're scaring me. Is the future going to be good or bad? Good. Will you be there? Yes. There you go. What else do you need to know about the future? Welcome to prophethood. You're prophets. Why would Jesus compare you to that? Because it could get worse. 
It could be worse. You know, the prophets went through what they go through. Oh, man, they went through more than you have. Oh, you think it's bad now? What's the implication in the comparison if it could get worse and prophets made it through and God's okay with it? The implication is be a peacemaker. Know that persecution is about the persecutor, not the victim. And know that God's in control of all these things and he's watching and he's paying attention and he will reward you and you'll be okay. Love that. What's he say about him? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me explain. Which is supposed to go there between the end of verse 12 and verse 13. Let me explain. You are the salt of the earth. Now that's just crazy talk. Are you really salt? You're not salt. You're human. Right? Is this literal? Have you tasted yourself? I mean, don't do it now. That'd be awkward. Everybody, like, oh no, I don't taste like salt. Right? So is this an analogy or is it literal? It's an analogy. Okay. For some people, you have to point out to them when things are literal and when they're analogy because people have taken analogy and called it literal in the Bible and it gets us in big trouble. Amen? This one is is about as obvious uh, of an analogy as it gets. But he says, you are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Nobody's laughing. Folks, this is funny. I don't care who you are. Do you know that this is funny? Okay, let's do it a little lesson. Salt is that stuff that tastes like... Okay, good, you're following. Uh, We use it to season food, and back in those days, they used it to preserve things for a long time. Why? Why would they use it to preserve things for a long time if it did not last a long time itself? Does salt last? Okay, let me, have, let me, let me uh, find out if you've ever had this experience. I have. Uh, you run out of salt. You go to the store. You buy a huge thing of salt. You fill up all your stuff, and then you stick it in the back of the cupboard. You go through life eating salt and the whole thing, and you run out of salt. And the next time you run out of salt, you forget you have this uh, extra bottle of it or whatever in the back of the thing, and you go out and buy more salt. You fill up all your stuff, and then you eat salt for a long time. And you finally run out again, and you go out and you buy more salt. And years later, you finally clean the cabinet. And what do you find in the back of the cabinet? Several year old salt. And you take it out, and you taste it, and it tastes like salt. Does salt lose its saltiness? You know, that's so crazy for me because I've gone to church so many times and listened to people talk about, you know, if salt loses its saltiness, oh, you're in trouble. Be careful as Christians, you could lose your Christianness. Or your peacemakerness, or your nature—it scared the heck out of me. I could be in trouble. I could lose some stuff, and when I lose that stuff, I will no longer be good for anything. Now, my self-esteem, my self-image—I'm freaked out. That's not the intention of the passage, folks. Jesus said, "You know, if salt lost its saltiness, and everybody chuckled, none of you laughed." You're horrible Jewish people. (laughs) He was being sarcastic. 
implying that salt doesn't lose its salt nature. It lasts forever. In fact, it retains the value of other things for a really, really long time. Salt brings value or protects value and never changes its own value. And you are the salt of the earth. What did God just say about you? You will never lose your saltiness. You will never lose your intrinsic value. You can always be these things. You will never be no longer good for anything. And you will never be trampled under feet. Hilarious to me. What is one of the greatest sources of salt on the planet that would be very close to where they were? The Dead Sea. The ocean is a cute salt supply compared to the Dead Sea. Dead Sea called the ocean, said, nice try. Have you been there? I, it's the most amazing thing. I could not submerge myself. There's so much salt in the water. You get in there and you become buoyant and I'm trying to get my legs under and my hands under and I can and no matter what, actually for a little while I couldn't get my feet on the ground to get up or get out because I was so buoyant. <laughs> I couldn't get my feet. My, I, gravity wasn't working. How do you get out of, the, out of the lake? You don't. Absolutely hilarious. This, there was this uh, lady who was a little... Uh, a little older than I was um, and, and had different proportions than I did. And she was literally stuck. She was, and she finally was crying out for help. Can somebody help me? <laughs> I had to float her over to the edge and then push her legs down. I had to prop her up to help her to get out because there was so much salt. When you walk out of the Dead Sea, do you know what you're walking on? Salt. Now, never do this. If you pick up some of that salt trampled underfoot and you pick it up and you taste it, don't do it. What's it taste like? Salt and dirt because it's mushed together, right? Gross. But it's still salt. If it found a way to separate it from the dirt, it'd still be salt. It's still, even trampled under feet, you don't lose your value as Christians. What a great statement about you. What an even greater statement about who your God is. Now, understanding that premise that we're salt and we never change our design, our creative purpose and entity. Now go back and look at the nine Beatitudes. God says you are these things, not become these things. This is who you are. Blessing and being blessed is who you are. Receiving these in the family. See God. Receive mercy. Be comforted. Inherit the kingdom. This is who you are and it cannot be trampled under feet. Wow. You know that I was never taught the Beatitudes with the salt analogy right after it together in a church. They read me all the Beatitudes and say, great lesson, see you later. And we go home. I've heard the salt thing a whole bunch of times. Didn't ever really realize that it was paired with the Beatitudes. And yet when, when God himself starts the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest, longest teaching in one place in all of Scripture, he starts out with the Beatitudes and says, and by the way, this is who you are and it cannot be changed. I feel so much better. Happy Sunday.
you're great. And he says, likewise, rejoice and be glad. You're the salt of the earth. You are a light. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Okay, this is going to be very simple. Can light lose its lightness? If, if, if there's a light on, it has light. Once the light's off, I mean, if she doesn't have light, it's not a light anymore, right? Same analogy as the salt. Same analogy of you in your beatitudeness or be blessed or whatnot, right? You're the light of uh, just this church, just this community. You're the light of the, what's that word? World. That's a super important word because it's going to superimpose over a couple other concepts as we move forward. And, and I, I love it because it's going to help promote some of the things that I think we need to see as Christians from Scripture. Two of my favorite words in the Bible. I say them to you all the time and I make you repeat them. When I make you choose between two things, I say, which one is it? And you respond with both. both. Okay, and uh, most of the time we talk about God's grace or great things or all that. Can I say how many people, how many get this? And you say all. Two of our best words in the Bible, right? I know for some of you, you thought the best two words in the Bible were Jesus and Christ, but I think both and all are right up there, right? We're going to see both and all coming out of this. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. There's no way to disguise it. Right, Just like salt doesn't lose saltiness, light doesn't lose its luminescence. Uh, Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, late since it can't lose its lightness. It's not a matter of can you see it, it's a matter of where you put it. Now our focus is changing. And it gives light to how many? All. All in the All in the house. How much of the house? The whole house? Right? The house being the word from earlier? World. Is this message just for the Jews? Is this message just for Christians? White people? Men only? Middle class? Balding? No? Not just for a few people? It's for everybody, right? We love that message, but more importantly, if that's the message for all in the world and in the house then what's it saying about us? Because there's some great commands in here and promises for us. We put it on a stand so that all in the house see it. And verse 16, and here's the big one. In fact, I put it at the top of your outline. This is the verse of the day, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your light cannot be extinguished. And if you are a light, then shine your light this way. Your light will shine. It's going to shine for sure. How will it shine? Shine it in such a way where they see your good works. Wait, I thought this was descriptive. I was, I was not buying your, your argument that it was prescriptive and a command. Oh, really? Well, then what do you do with good works? When Jesus throws good works in there, isn't it implying that we do stuff Absolutely. It's time for us to do something with the light and the salt that we are and the nine attitudes that we have intrinsic to us that cannot be changed, cannot be hidden, and cannot be trampled underfoot. Can we mix a little dirt in it? Yeah, we can. But he says, that's up to you to figure out how do you be salt and how do you be light 
in such a way where people look at what you're doing and they say, um, methinks God. Great response for us to draw out of people. Amen? Here's the problem. It's learned behavior. We have to learn how to do it. We have to aspire to our design. You know, that's what we're doing down in Santa Cruz right now. Mount Herman, Darren Hill, Bryce Turner, Brent Baldwin, Jan Ash, Ashley Baldwin, Ricky Berglund, Megan Ash. There's a whole bunch of them. What are they trying to do? Learn their behavior. Train them as to who they are. What's already within them and draw it out. Great priority for us as a church uh, so that we can recognize that we are all in the family. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Yes, all seven, eight verses of it. Uh, let's look at this and a couple of truths I think that come out of all of, the, uh, all of the Beatitudes, not just the last three, but then the commentary that comes out of it about us being salt of the earth. Uh, I think the, the key to this is that 16th verse. 16th verse. That we're to do this in such a way that people see our good works and see that we're different. So it's not just about being blessed ourselves, but that we are being a blessing to others. And the first way for us to do that is to not focus on ourselves and and get outside of ourselves and recognize one of the greatest truths of the last two Beatitudes about persecution. And know this truth. Persecution is not about you. It is not for your sake. Now, God can use it to teach you things and the whole deal. But we talked about this earlier. Persecution happens when other people are in conflict, especially when you're doing the right thing. And people, uh, people will fight against you for three reasons. None of them have to do with you. One of them is uh, you're in conflict with something that they want or need. Secondly, they're going to they're gonna persecute you because the idea that there are right and wrong outside of themselves is a threatening statement because now they might have to adapt to something new. And the third one is they're going to persecute you because for Christ's sake. The belief that there is an actual God. You know, to believe in a God means you have to change a bunch of stuff. You have to rethink everything because now there is someone generating the rules and he might like everybody else as much as you and now you're not special and now you might have to conform or you might have to avoid or man, you might have to be proactive in certain things. Folks, if, that, if those three things are true that people are fighting against, you're absolutely gonna get persecuted. And here's how I know this. Because I persecute people. You know, figured it out. I like to persecute people. It's not good. It is wrong, for sure. And I have to fight against it within myself. But here's what I learned. When I persecute people, do you know why I do it? Because I want something. I need something. I want to feel better about myself. And they are in the way. I'm in conflict. Not them. See, persecution, when you're persecuted, is never about you. How freeing is that? You feel better? 
Happy Sunday. Other people have conflicts and you don't. Okay? Not when you're being persecuted. Now, you be careful about when you persecute others, but that's not what the passage is about. The passage is about dealing when you're the target. And how do you deal? First thing is you remember in your head, they have a problem. And when you remember it's their problem, now you can move on to can I help them? Do I need to get out of the way? Stop questioning whether what you know God said was right for you to do was really right. You can move on to the next right thing. Or if they try to engage you, maybe you could cooperate. Maybe you could offer help. Maybe you could be merciful. Because you move beyond taking it, how? Personally. Personally. People used to say, oh, it's not personal. You know, what, what do we always think? When somebody says, well, you know, this is not personal, but what do you know is coming next? <laughs> Something personal, right? That's not true. It's not personal. You cannot take it personally. They didn't like the way you made the coffee. That's their problem. Make it yourself. Amen? Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't like how I helped you? I can stop helping you. You ever done that one? I've done that one with my kids. It's a lot of fun. Oh, you don't want... I'm sorry. I think I heard you say blah, 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 blah. But I'm pretty sure what you meant was you don't want my help anymore. No problem. I'm going to go watch a TV show. Now what do they do? No, no, wait, wait, wait. I just... Right? No, I know I do need help. What would it look like if we walked through life Letting people have their conflict. Letting people have their learning curve. Rather than acting like we're some big piece of the equation. Like we're the problem. This this could be crushing for you. I I hope you'll be okay. Are you all sitting down? You are a minor variable in everyone else's equation. Do you know this? I'm sorry. Sorry. You ever ever do math where you got more than one variable and it's complicated? You know, every once in a while, one of the things is like uh, times 1.1. You ever ever have fun with math? Uh, In math, any number times one is equal what? The same number. Nothing's changed. I remember getting those questions in math class and thinking, you're wasting my time. I know this math, but I know time better and you just wasted some of my because it's the exact same thing. You know, one times 1.1 is only like a 10% difference. That's, that's your variable in other people's equation. You might make a 10% difference at the best. Then there's other variables and equations that are so drastic and out there and they vary so greatly that they can only be represented by a, a letter. That was the most frustrating concept in math for me because up until that point, everything was a number. Six. I know what six is. <laughs> oh, it's that many, right? Ten. After a while, we got into extra zeros. Whoa. Thousand. That's uh, three zeros. And I remember trying to learn how many zeros. But when we got to variables, X. I thought the teacher was trying to pull a fast one. I thought she was being funny. X, X is not a number. I took English. 27 letters. 
Sometimes Y. X isn't a number. And then she started explaining, no, X is when that value could change from minus 60. It's like, wait a minute, time out. There's minus numbers? There's negative numbers? Yes, Scott, they're not called minus numbers. They're called negative numbers. Oh, man, so much. X could mean 1,000. X could mean .006. And when you drop that in the equation, it drastically changes everything. You know who is X in the equation for most people, folks? No. They're a minor variable, too. Who's the only major variable in anyone's equation? Somebody were at church, I just asked a question. It's God. God is the only major variable in anybody's equation. I want you to get this concept. This might crush you too. I'm really sorry, but not really that much. You're not that important. And it could actually be a sin, you thinking that it's personal. You thinking that the persecution is about you. You thinking that something's wrong with you. Because now you've, betri- you've tried to make yourself a bigger variable than you are. You know what the Bible calls that? When you try to make yourself as more important, more valuable, more influential than you really are. The Bible calls that idolatry. I'm going to help you deal with persecution. If you start taking it personally, I want you to entertain the idea that you could be sinning in the sin of idolatry. Wait, I don't want to do idol worship, worship of myself, that I have affected them so greatly that they are throwing a temper tantrum. No, I don't have that much influence. I don't have that much control. In fact, I don't change their value at all. I'm a bit player in this screen I'm going to walk away. And I feel okay with walking away. Because one, I'm going to let them have their learning curve because they're in conflict. I was, I was somewhere not too long ago and the, whose na- the names will be kept anonymous in order to protect the guilty. And somebody old enough to know better through a temper tantrum. Have you seen, have you ever watched somebody like too old to throw a temper tantrum, throw a temper tantrum. I was like, I can't believe this. I went into shock, momentary shock. They took something and they threw it. I couldn't believe it. You know what I did? I tried really hard not to laugh. I tried really hard not to smirk. And then I did one of these. I just walked away. I'm not going to make them better. They're already throwing a temper tantrum in front of me. They're they're not happy with me. I'm not the issue. And I will not get into idol worship. Right? As for one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no idols before me. Right? I know how to follow that one. Did you know that when you become selfish to the point where you think you're important or you're influencing and you can affect it, that's actually idol worship. That's, that's a fun way to start thinking about idol worship. And the fact that persecution is really not about you. It's the other person trying to work through their stuff. You can decide to be a help to that 
or you can take it personally and offended and get confrontational and blah, 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 and you're, you'll make it worse. Uh, they won't like you either, by the way, and you may end the relationship. When you walk away, you might get a chance later. We'll see. That person came back and tried to shake my hand and apologized. It was the weirdest thing. I shook their hand. That was very classy of you, I said. Wow. Most of the other ways that I wanted to handle it would not have ended that way. And there's an amen to that. Persecution is not about you. Uh, Secondly, you are good for something and someone. You are good for something and someone. No matter what, you are good for something and, and someone. What have I just done? I've, I've found a cheeky way to rephrase something we hear at church all the time. You are valuable. God is gracious to you. God loves you. You have talents and gifts. He has created you for a reason. He has designed you. Right? Have you heard all those things? You need to hear it from this passage where it says, no longer good for anything and trampled under feet. That never happens to you, folks. You cannot lose your value. Now, now how do you walk into the room? Now how do you walk out of the room? Now how do you address people? You always have something to offer. You always have something to do. You always have a decision to make. No matter how bad it gets or what you think's going on. If you are salt and that cannot change, if you are light and you cannot change, then you can be blessed. In fact, it's within your design to be blessed because you are meek, you are humble, you are poor in spirit, you are all of those things. You are a peacemaker. Now, just bring it out. We were the number three seed in all of the playoffs. I was so excited. I've never been ranked that high as a soccer coach going into the playoffs. It's like, there's hope till Wednesday night. That's why they play the games. We lost to the 14th seed in the first round. We led most of the game and we gave it up right at the end. I went to a soccer game and a Raider game broke out. We found a way to lose at the end. Right? And, and I am super frustrated because in the last five, six years, we've exited the playoffs in the first round three times. We made it to the semifinals and lost in penalty kicks. One year, we didn't even make the playoffs. And now I'm starting to question myself as a coach. Should I really be doing this? Right? I was questioning my saltiness, which I shouldn't do. And the game is over, which means the season is over. And I'm standing, I'm looking at seniors, a bunch of them, 11 of them, won't play a high school soccer game again when they thought they were going to have probably at least two more. Some of them are crying. And the lights are still on, and the scoreboard has the wrong lights on it, if you know what I mean, under home and visitor. And people don't know if they're supposed to pick up their stuff, or are we going to talk as a team and... I guess there's no practice tomorrow. We're dealing with all these emotions and thoughts. You know, in the middle of all that, you know what they want us to do? They want us to walk across the field and shake hands and be good sports. 
to the team that just beat us and sent us home packing. We had to get in our cars and drive home even after that, right? And all I could think of is I don't want to do this. They were the 14th seed. You don't lose to Castro Valley. <laughs> we start walking across the field and we start shaking hands. And took everything in me. Do you know what I did? I had something to offer to someone and I could be good. And as I'm going through the line, here comes number 20. And I, I didn't want to. I couldn't help myself. I said, hey, number 20. That was a great header. I hated it. But that was the game winner and it was amazing. Good job. I'm still a little upset about it, but good job. And he kind of looked at me and kind of snickered for a second, but it was confused. And he kept going, and I keep shaking hands. And I was like, where's number seven? Everybody looks at me like, uh-oh. Because what do they think I'm going to do? They think I'm going to persecute them or say something bad. And here comes, like 10 people have gone through the line. And here comes number seven. And I'm smacking hands. And I was like, man, why'd you have to tie the game? That was an amazing shot. Great job. And he looks at me kind of weird. And now I've got 10, 12 kids' uh, attention. I'm like, where's the coach? Now everybody's listening, right? <laughs> Here's the funny part. I pretty much introduced that coach to that school for that job because I'm an alumni. That's where I graduated. And I'm thinking, how do I be good for someone and something right now when I don't want to be? And I said, guys, coach, I know I'm the amateur coach, but I'm also a Castro Valley alumni, and I'm proud of you guys. It was awesome. I ruined their celebration for like 12 seconds. <laughs> because they didn't know what to do. They're all, did he mean that? Is he being sorry? I think he meant that. You know, they're like thinking through it. And, and all of a sudden now they really want to shake my hand and the whole thing and then um, the coach is hugging me and the whole thing. And I pouted later. Right? One of those kids when we're leaving the stadium, one of those kids walked up to me and thanked me. It hurt. <laughs> but it was awesome. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you are salt and light and you have something to offer. You can never be trampled underfoot unless you let yourself be. Don't do that. You got commands as to who you are. Amen? You are good for something some, uh, and someone. Uh, lastly, are you hiding or on the move? It said that uh, salt could be trampled or light could be hidden under a basket. You, you are light. You will project something. But are you going to hide or are you going to get on the move? And you go do something. Or you speak up when you have an opportunity. Or shut up when you're supposed to be quiet. Right? You can't say something nice, then don't say anything at all. Right? That could have been me walking through the line. I decided, no, you can say something. That's kind of like I say about funerals. Get up and say something. Poor person lived their whole life and you're dead silent at their funeral. Get up and say, if, if there's anything in you that can get up and say something nice, Tell a story, thank God, or just say you're going to miss him, or I loved him, or anything. But don't sit there silent if you don't have to. 
We have an opportunity to get up and do something. I went to a funeral with my family. My two brothers and I were there. It made me so angry that my two brothers and I were the only three people outside of the immediate family to get up and say anything. He was a great man. Nobody said anything. My dad used to always say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You raised all them too? I didn't realize that was in the Bible. You're tough. Get going. Be blessed. Be meek. Mourn. Be pure in heart. Be poor in spirit. Be a peacemaker. And be persecuted two times over. Rejoice and be glad. You shall not lose your saltiness. You shall not lose yourself as a light entity. And you can go and accomplish great things. But get on the move. Amen? Lord, thank you that you let us in the game. That you draw us to our true nature. I thank you, Lord, that that's unchangeable, that it's intrinsic within us by, based on how you designed us and created us. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, get our attention, distract us from the distractions, keep us on point and on task, help us to be a blessing to those around us, to not be hidden. And I pray, Lord, for those who do feel persecuted this morning. Because, Lord, we know that it's real and we know that it hurts. And it's very difficult for us to see it as their issue rather than ours. We feel pain and we have fears. We have hopes and dreams and we have doubt. And we have shame. I pray, Lord, that you would, as you promised in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, that you would comfort, oh, comfort your people. And Lord, no, we know that we attribute that usually to what Jesus did on the cross, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that it goes beyond that. It goes to our mind and our heart today not just the cross, it goes to our actions today that we can be comforted in all that we experience and have trust in you. So I pray, Lord, that those dealing with things would be comforted this morning. That they would receive mercy. That they would see you. And they would embrace their membership in your family. We thank you for all this, Lord, and for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray that you be with our students, what they've heard so far, what they'll hear tonight, what they'll hear tomorrow. And then, Lord, bring them back to us different. We thank you for all of this. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.